0: Let's uh, thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your continued mercies to your church. We'd ask that you would watch over our minds, wake us up to the laziness or the failure to protect the gospel over the centuries. Help us be faithful to that which saved us. In your son's name, we pray, Amen. We're in Galatians, chapter two. Having covered Galatians chapter one last week, Galatians chapter two. The first, well, last week we had that. Right at the end of chapter one, it talks about after three years after he was converted, he goes to Jerusalem. Um, and then he starts Galatians 2 with then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Uh, there's much argument, like I mentioned about the whole North Galatian, South Galatian theories um, last week and how people can get caught up on everything except what the text is about. Um, they also could fight about which visit was this 14 years ago visit or 14-year-later visit. Um it seems you know i, I again I'm not going to die on this hill historically, but it seems that it's the visit that Paul and Barnabas take to Jerusalem after Agabus prophesies a famine, and they go down taking a gift to Jerusalem uh, nothing much that's the that in that moment, Peter is arrested by Herod and and that's the story about him getting led out by the angel. He goes back to John Mark's mother's house. It seems that um, Paul and Barnabas were there at that moment, and they then go back to Antioch. So it's a, it's not a whole lot of story about Paul in Jerusalem, but it seems that the 14-year later visit is that, which, given that Herod Antipas dies in 44 A.D. 14 years earlier would be 30. And in other words, Paul's conversion would be right at, very close to the death of Jesus Christ, uh, rather than perhaps some years later. So it affects things when you start to you know, look at it. Some people think that the Jerusalem visit that we're dealing with today is the Jerusalem Council visit, uh, which happens a bit later in Acts. Have fun with it. Get that out of the way so we can talk about the spiritual benefit. Now, he has been talking about, in chapter 1, how his gospel is not from men, but from God. And he wants you to know that, and we talked about how or How that affects our knowledge of the gospel because if we start resting our encounter with the gospel on as if it were through the buffer of men men preach it but if it came to us through them not through the Holy Spirit if it came to us not from God the gospel from God the forgiveness of God your encounter with God we start making our deals with the church we start joining the church thinking it is what I have to do because I think it's from men. I have to go to the men and and give them my allegiance. I sign up for the membership rolls. Give my, whatever the tithe is. Those are the dangers. When you go through Galatians, some people think because Paul is such a young Christian when he writes Galatians, it's 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 an early work that he's a little bit out of control. I like Galatians because he's a little out of control. He wants to make sure that you understand how this, not from men, applies to his handling of the rest of the church. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up by revelation. That might be in reference to Agabus' prophecy. About the need in Jerusalem. So that we went there because there was a revelation. And I laid before them, but privately, before those who were of repute, the gospel which I preach. The gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, lest somehow I should be running or had run in vain. Now it looks, if I stopped right there, it looks like, you know, Paul was this kind of unique guy who got his own word from the Lord and is running around preaching it. And then he finally goes, Oh, you know, it would just be right for me to go check with the papacy in Jerusalem. I better go check with the bishops. I better get their permission to do. Now he he basically says, I I'm gonna find out whether or not what I am doing is vanity or not. But we're going to see some other kind of response or handling of that encounter than we might think. Instead of it being a submission to the church, it's a joint submission to the grace of God. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek." This is the whole question in Galatians, um, whether or not, the Jewish, the Gentile Christians had to join up with the law of the Jews in order to be good Christians. He says, even Titus, who was a Greek, didn't have to be circumcised, a symbol of Judaism, um, in order to be um, in fellowship. But because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to them we did not yield submission even for a moment, that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, so there's two kinds of people that Paul ran into when he went to Jerusalem. One was people of repute, the second was false brethren, okay? You want to be thinking, and and I'm warning you at a different level than Paul's dealing. Paul's dealing is in the, you know, 40s AD. They're working out what Christianity is in their minds. People are coming to grips with the grace of Jesus Christ. First time in history. It's a unique time. We are at the other end of 2,000 years of misbehavior, apostasy, doing it the wrong way, ignoring the gospel. To where, you know, when something like the Reformation happens in the 1500s, that it's a a surprise to the church that you can be saved by grace through faith. It's a surprise. What happened? Well, I certainly don't admire the people that let it happen. I don't find myself running off to the history of the church and say, you know, I read the Apostolic Fathers. I encourage you to read them. Don't don't, don't think anything of them as I was quoted as saying one time because I like being quoted they're just a bunch of guys now because they're just a bunch of guys remember, the guys show up in two kinds of conditions men of repute and false brethren okay? that's what he's dealing with because his reaction to each of these is different You've got to think as to whether or not you have been living in a Christian adjusted circumstance that has allowed the false brethren or didn't react to the men of repute correctly. For the false brethren, what's the response? We don't yield, not even for a minute. No submission. Now these aren't, these aren't false, these aren't people who are out on the university campus teaching some social class to freshmen who don't have, they're all wobbly about their Christianity and so some agnostic professor talks to them and they get a little wobblier. No, these are people inside the church who have the reputation for piety. These are people who are, you know, keeping the Sabbath and stuff. These are people that are insisting on certain elements of of the Jewish faith and Christianity. That's what they are. Because when you look at the church, it's hard to tell the difference between the men of repute and the false brethren. Because the false brethren aren't standing there with a bottle of vodka. They're not saying, let's go out and get wasted. They're saying, let's go out and get more religious than you're being currently. And Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, I don't give in to them for a minute. Because they're here to spy out the freedom. Jesus Christ in the gospel brings freedom from the law. Now, this is going to come across and I apologize. Nah, I don't. I'm not really sorry. My father gave me a book for his birthday he's at that stage in life when he's giving stuff away rather than getting stuff uh, gave me a book called The Pilgrim Church I recommend it, you know, it's you know, not a real direct read but it's about the existence of the real church, people like you throughout all Christian history, the Brethren, the Waldensians the Bogomils, the Pollicans the, the just bizarre groups that got chased by everybody nobody was nice to them Including the referent reformers, the Anabaptists, because they held the church was a certain way of freedom, the gospel, faith alone, no controls. Now, you might not like that sort of thing. You might be a little bit more churchy than I am. I kind of do, so it's a little bit, it might be infecting what I'm saying. But if you go through chapter 2 of Galatians on your own, and you say, what is he, who is he talking about? Look what he then does. He just says, okay, we understand. Whoever the false brethren are, and in this sub- subject it's the people who are trying to bring in the law of Moses to the Christian life. And if you try to do it to me, I will be on you like white on rice. Okay? Now it's, it's bad. No submission," he said. "Well, but I want—I want to—I want to keep some of the food laws. Shut up! You may, but don't even think that it's part of Christianity. Don't even. It's just part of your kind of life that you'd like to lead. Keep some traditions that are fine. fine. Do it for beauty. But it's not the command of the Lord. Not even for a minute." You say, well, what about the men of repute? Look how he deals with that in verse 5. To them we did not yield submission. Verse 6, and from those who were reputed to be something, that's who he mentioned back in verse 2, privately before those who were of repute, but for those who reputed to be something, parentheses, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. (laughs) St. Paul didn't have a high respect for the Apostolic Fathers. He didn't go, well the fathers, whatever they say in Jerusalem, because they're old and they wear robes. He goes, I you know, frankly don't care. I frankly don't show any partiality. God doesn't show any partiality. Those, I say, who were of repute added nothing to me. He says there is a reputation. There are false brethren, there are real brethren. The real brethren, people. some people have a high repute, and those people added nothing to my gospel. Now look at how their interaction is, because you're saying... I don't give in submission to anything on the false brethren. Whatever you see those as, try to keep it as biblical as possible. Make sure that you're rejecting those who are trying to spy out your freedom and stop you from living a life in Christ and want you to live by the law. But you want to be in good fellowship with people that you run into from all sorts of backgrounds. But not on the basis of their repute. look at what happens, but on the contrary verse 7, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel of the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for the mission of the circumcised worked through me also for the Gentiles and when they perceived the grace that was given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, you want to know who we're talking about, the Apostles. Peter, James, and John, reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand to fellowship. So this, what reputed to be pillars class of men, what you should have is the sight of the grace of God in that. Because the distinction here is someone trying to destroy the gospel by legalism, the law, whatever else, because any false gospel verse chapter 1, let them be damned. False gospel, let them be damned. Paul says, the difference between believers that I associated with in Jerusalem was, I didn't give in to these guys for a second, and I extended the right hand of fellowship to them. They saw the grace in me, I saw it in them. We saw the gospel at work. If you don't see the gospel, I don't care how many centuries is behind this guy. I don't care if there's pictures of him in a tiara. I don't care if he did a miracle if he is not living in the grace of God. If he wouldn't see the grace of God in you, probably a false brother. There's lots of great brothers in a broad array of churches, broad array of theologies, but it's the gospel that makes them righteous, not that church, not their system, not whatever it is, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I should perceive that in them. They should perceive that in me. And a hand of fellowship, not a hand of, you know, I should listen to you because you're more something than I am. And a lot of you might feel insecure about your own theology because you say, well, I just sit in the pews. What am I? I... Uh, who should I I should be reading my Bible and thinking I could think it out? Yes, you should. I'm sorry, can't use that excuse. You speak English, you read a math textbook, you took trig, perhaps, you know, at some point. You took calculus. You did homework. Remember homework? Some of you do it. I don't remember doing it. But you did homework. And when you didn't know something, you wouldn't ask somebody about it because you didn't understand why Charlemagne would have done this and so you want to go talk to somebody who knows about Charlemagne. You do that when you care about passing. It's the Bible. It's your Christian life. Yes, you can. You, You can understand all of this. And you want to be, you want to be the kind of person that understands that I don't need to have an epistemology of church authority. St. Paul didn't have an epistemology of church authority. He had an epistemology of a changed life in Jesus Christ. Did they see the grace in me? Did I see the grace in them? They gave us the right hand of fellowship. I have this quote from Acts 11 where Peter sees it in Cornelius when he reports back to the Jerusalem church if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could withstand God when they heard this they were silenced and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto life. Peter saw in Cornelius the changed life, the power of the Holy Spirit falling on them, and he, said, and he reported to the other Christians, I saw the work of God. And then the Jewish Christians said, Okay, because it's the work of God that's important. Did he change you? Did he change them? We were warned in chapter one about a wandering gospel, if you preach any other gospel. And we seem to think, well, because they're in the same group or they're in the same history or the same organization. Remember, Paul's looking at people in the same group in the same organization with the same history, and he calls them false brethren secretly brought in to spy out our freedom. So now what? You know that false brethren exist to secretly spy out your freedom. Who would like to take away from you the life of the liberty of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, Heaven, I've talked to you before and I know you're a bit of a radical about not as radical, I'm a bit of a radical about the nature of Christ Christians and the law. The old covenant has passed away. Christ has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances. I want to ask you how you could imagine designing a faith that isn't radical about the liberty of Jesus Christ. Go up, knock yourself out. Don't tell me St. Cyril said something, St. Basil said something, St. Paul is looking you in the eye in chapter 2 in Galatians and going, I'm sorry, you don't get to be this way. And I, an apostle, will fight you to the death on this point. They perceive the grace of God people, when they wander, wander in their gospel, they will wander into law and ritual, or they will wander into licentiousness, those are the two the effects of the gospel the the failure of the gospel to effect if you have the gospel and your life is changed by Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, you don't go around looking for more religion if you're not changed by Jesus Christ, yeah, and you want to be religious, you'll look for more religion you'll look for the most religion you can get Because you're going to want to feel it, you're going to want to have the beauty of it, you're going to want the history of it, nothing but the truth of it. So law and ritual fill in the blanks. Other people, when they see that this Christianity is not quite working out for them, keeping them from sin because of some other reason, they start designing a false gospel that allows a lot of sin. It doesn't draw the line. It doesn't doesn't understand how Christians should be. We'll get to that in a minute. But those are false gospels. The question you have to ask is, do you see the gospel yourself? And this is where it gets awkward. Verse 11, when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, different, it's Aramaic for rock, instead of Greek for rock. When Cephas came to Antioch, they, they, uh, the cotton patch version of the Bible that came out back when I was a hippie, uh, early 70s, uh, late 60s, wrote the letters of Paul as if they were letters to church, churches in the southern United States, Selma, Memphis, things like that. And Peter was called Rock Johnson, because son of... Never. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. My gosh, not only is Paul not, doesn't play well with the apostolic fathers, he calls them, yeah, I reputed to be pillars, I don't show any partiality. God shows that partiality. In fact, I'm going to push Peter down a flight of stairs. <laughs> That's largely what happened. Over something, come on, Paul, why do you have to be so, you jockey shorts and a bunch about this? because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he ate with the Gentiles James was down in Jerusalem Bishop of Jerusalem and so certain men came up from Jerusalem from James and they were more false brethren-ish or kept the laws of Moses or whatever it was And Peter had been a Jew, been living in Antioch, a Greek city, and been living like a Christian at liberty in Christ. But before they came, he ate with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Because people thought eating with a Gentile, people like you, would make you unclean. Paul argues in Ephesians that the great mystery of the gospel is the new man created by Jesus Christ out of Jew and Gentile. That's the great mystery of the faith. And Peter was operating as if it was still Jew and Gentile. Out of fear, out of, you know, just, uh, okay, I could just adjust a little bit. I'll do this for my love for my Jewish brethren. No, those are the kind of Jewish brethren that Paul wants to slug in the face. He doesn't because it wouldn't be Christian. But he does challenge Peter on the subject. He's operating in the I don't even give in for a moment when it comes to the faith in the gospel. That faith alone, by grace alone is what Christianity is. And no, you don't get to add anything. You don't get to add baptism, you don't get to add communion, you don't get to add church attendance, membership, belonging to a group that has got its bona fides from way back. Remember, those things are not the authority in your life because they didn't change you. Some people think because there's enough lichen on it, there's enough patina on it, enough age on it, that it becomes more true because it's so, it's like watching Lord of the Rings, you know, And oh, another lichen encrusted sculpture, wall, rune. It must be really important and true because look how much lichen is on it. You know, you're not real bright. But that doesn't make something true. Wickedness has been around for a long time. Stupidity, longer yet. Paul, not even for a moment. I don't care if Paul, Cephas was one of the reputed, right? He was, list up there in verse, uh, where was it? Uh, Verse 9, James, Cephas, and John, the reputed. They accepted the welcoming right hand of fellowship because they saw the grace in him, he and they. But when one of those showed up at Antioch and operated just slightly differently, in a way that would undermine the truth of the gospel that it set you free from law it made you righteous by faith that didn't he didn't want that undermined not even for a moment and the I don't care who you are I've said this for years And I have gotten the who do you think you are? Do you think you're more important than than a long list of names of the great Christian saints, reputed to be pillars, who denied the grace of God? Who denied, believed that Christians had to keep, like they taught what the false brothers were teaching because nobody resisted them and with him the rest of the Jews acted insincerely. so everybody gets on board with this because remember the false brothers the people that want to insist on more religion more liturgy and more law they're going to look more spiritual than you frankly got it? And everybody, and the Jews especially, who used to be in that world, and they were just set free by Jesus Christ, and they were no longer under the law, and they were to live with their Christian Gentile brethren in Antioch. They were beginning to act insincerely. Even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. This is a tricky question. You have to ask yourself, what do you think made you a Christian? What do you think righteousness is based on? Paul seems to have a... something worked out in his mind about it. And he's willing to throw some elbows. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, remember that phrase, straightforward about the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? Someone asks you what must I do to be saved? What do you say? I said to Cephas before them all, my gosh, this was not, he didn't just draw him away to the size of, pardon me, Cephas, pardon me. We gotta check, can we make an appointment during we have some lunch? And then, you know, maybe in a booth set aside nobody can hear us, I can can really like intervene and uh, show some eh. remember the basement stairs and Paul looking for Peter in the crowd to shove him down the basement stairs but he's going to do it in public he stood condemned you don't wait for a church trial on this you don't wait for some sort of committee of the session to be able to decide whether or not somebody is preaching within the bounds of Christendom or not? You should The gospel saved you or it didn't. Do you even recognize the grace of God in somebody else? Do you even have the kind of mind that starts to see Christianity in terms of the real function of the grace of God and the spirit of God that people who go in for religion are cutting the knees out from under? Do you understand that? You understand why this church, not because we're a special church, but we're trying to eschew religion at every ground we can. To throw you a a loop. So you don't, what do I do next? Why is he acting that way? Because, not because religion isn't beautiful. I think religion can be beautiful. But because... I need, we need to be straightforward about the gospel. We need to always have people see. Never see the, the, the liturgy. Never see the beauty of the ritual. Never see, you know, what we see as the law of the Jews. It was a great thing while it, while it lasted. Never see those things, but see grace coming out of you and a changed life because of that grace. That righteousness was based on faith. Not righteousness based on the law. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? You know, we do that we like that mixture we're not really false brethren I'm not accusing you of being false brethren but we sometimes, remember the insincerity the Jews were drawn off by that insincerity, even Barnabas we know Barnabas is cool we know Peter was saved. That's not a problem about their salvation, but we know we can design Christians who are half and half, who take the Peter principle, no reference to the other Peter principle, which says, you know, we got to really be ecumenical and get along with everybody, and so if they're kind of a church that is more, we gotta, we got to open up our... No, if they don't understand the gospel my mother went to a Bible school that was very strict. And she always wanted me to consider going, because she liked me best. Or feared me, I'm not sure which it was. But, but I said, Mom, when your Bible school can understand the book of Galatians, I'll consider going. Because they were all law. They were all rules. Well, they if you don't understand Galatians, why would I think you could teach anything? For heaven's sake, it really, he's yelling at you. We'll get to that in the next chapter. Oh, you idiot Galatians. I mean, the volume racks it up pretty high, and he's telling stories about how loud he got in various circumstances. We would like to design. You can't be set free from the law by Jesus Christ. Take that freedom to not be a Jew anymore and be like a Christian and then When people come into your life that you want to control their behavior you start applying portions of the law You don't get to bring it back in How can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews we, ourselves who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners Yet who know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You wonder where I'm getting some of this phrasing? It's because Paul says it. This this sentence, all of verse 15 and 16, he says it twice. Because he just he is he is he's a little you can see all the whites around his eyes at this point. He's he's serious about it. Yet No, we know. We're not Gentile sinners. We're Jews. But we know a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we believed in Christ Jesus. We Jews, we had to go there. If you didn't experience this, I can understand your problem why you got into religion and started moving the, 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 the furniture around because you thought it would work better this way. But you have experienced Jesus Christ. We believed in order to be justified. The word justified means righteousness. Or made righteous. The word justified is not one you use often in your parlance. But you know we want to be righteous. We are made, a man is not made righteous by works of the law. In order to be made righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law shall no one be made righteous. It's counterintuitive. Because everyone says, "Whoa, well, well, what would happen if we didn't have any rules? Well, the Christians would act like saints. And all the fake Christians in your congregation would act like the wicked people they are. And maybe then you could tell the difference. But you get the rules worked out. We've got to work this out so that even non-believers can behave like Christians. So we can all be fooled. So we can't tell the false brethren who are spying out our freedom because none of us believers still retain the freedom we have in Christ. Did you hear this gospel at some point? Did you believe this gospel at some point? That by faith... What? In whom? To what end? All well and good, say you. What are you trying to say that you believers are sinlessly perfect? No, because look at the next verse. But if, verse 17, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners. So so say we're we're set free by Christ, we're living in this life, and we find ourselves to be sinners. Is Christ then an agent of sin? This liberty that he's given me did it make me sin? Certainly not, Paul says. So I'd accept that. Certainly not. But if I build up again those things which I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. That's what happens. Christians set free from the bondage to the law, living the life they hit a, road, a, a roadblock, a mine, something that blows up under them. They sin, or somebody notices sin in the church and in the, in the believers. And so what's the shortest distance between two points in religious minds? Law. Make a rule. Dang it. That'll stop them. There'll be no dancing here. There'll be no cigarettes. There'll be no... And if you could always do biblical ones, well, you better do This. Or you better keep the Sabbath or not eat pork. Now, I don't care what kind of system you work out, but if I build up the law again, which I tore down, that was what, I was set free from that. The chains came off. I walked into Christ. And yes, sin can still exist. Only thing I proved by going back to the law is I proved I'm a major transgressor. That's all I prove, that I'm a lawbreaker. If I build up what I tore down, I've just proved that this whole thing was a mistake. This whole thing was a violation of the law of God. I should never have torn it down to begin with. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Have you died to the law? If I tried to build it back up again, I just admitted that dying to the law was an ineffectual piece of uh, poo. It wasn't uh, really going to do anything. Paul seems to think he died to the law so that he could live to God. That our approach to righteousness, remember this is for righteousness, It is is not just for freedom, but it's the freedom to righteousness. We live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith that saved you, true faith if it was, brought about the grace of God. And that faith is me living in Christ daily by faith, not by law. Paul's warning says, yes, sin may show up in the Christian life. And no, Christ is not the author of that because he sets you free. But be advised, it is not the signal to go back to the law. Like some parent who says, Well, I can't trust you with the car keys. I guess I'm going to have to have a curfew and a uh, you know, whatever else, the rules, because you didn't show that you could deserve freedom. You're shooting a hole in freedom. You're shooting a hole in grace. You have to recognize that your sinlessness not only was imputed to you by whatever means in the death of Christ, but your righteousness in Christ today is because of your faith, because Christ lives in you. That's how you become righteous. Nature, being. Does your faith build up the being of Jesus Christ? In you. I do not nullify the grace of God for if justification were through the law if righteousness, if I go back to the law to get that righteousness, if I'm the kind of church that tries to rebuild either the law or the liturgy or the whatever else I nullify the grace. Then Christ died to no purpose. so that's not the answer if you want to shoot the grace of God the gospel in such a way that it kills it and I'm not talking about really killing it metaphysically but killing it in the lives of the people around you it no longer will have any effect you will always be preaching some of the law, some of the grace of God and you'll look biblical because the old covenant is biblical too, right? The false brethren are all biblical and they're all pious. And they're destructive to the gospel. Better get your head screwed on straight. Better understand it. The point is not to be biblical, it's to be in the covenant of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible teaches that the new covenant supersedes the old, it abolishes it with its law and commandments and ordinances. It's gone. And if I try to build it up, I become a transgressor and I prove that what Christ did on the cross was pointless. You can have that kind of Christianity if you want, where you honor Jesus at a distance and don't honor the grace. That's what confuses people about the 1,000 years, 1,500 years of apostasy. Because they see Jesus being honored throughout the history of the church. Oh, he's so big. He's God. We'll fight wars over it. We'll kill people over it. You know, hold it they're honoring Jesus Christ but not the liberty and gospel he preached they're not honoring it so what do you have to look out for you look out for your faith because it is by faith in the son of God that's how I live the life by faith in the son of God well next week Paul drags that question into chapter three and hits him about the head with a baseball bat. It doesn't stop. It, it just Galatians is a lot of fun for a preacher, so I'm going to have a great time for the next few weeks. Let's thank God, dear Lord. We are grateful. Help us understand the grace that you have given us. Help us understand the change that the faith we had asked for and the power you've given gives us that we would understand where sin rests and that it's not answered by the law. Help us be faithful in our conversations with other believers. Help us to extend the right hand of fellowship to all those who preach your gospel and offer that grace to others. Keep us gracious in how we deal with those who make mistakes. In your son's name we pray. Amen.